Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and this is the West Block, politics, perspectives, and players. Late last week, Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer released his party platform, outlining exactly what he would do for the country if he is elected as prime minister. Why did he wait until so late in the campaign to do this, and what are some of his promises? I sat down with the Conservative leader to find out almost immediately after his platform was released in British Columbia. Here's that conversation. Mr. Shear, welcome to the West Block. Thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having me again. This has been a unique campaign. It's been a campaign that often, we hear this from viewers and from voters across the country, has been very negative. People describe it as a race to the bottom, a competition over who's the bigger liar instead of a vision for Canada. What do you say to voters who are frustrated with your campaign and frustrated with the way that politicians have conducted themselves? Mm. Well, I'm actually very pleased by our campaign. We've, uh, every day, we've had a, a positive message about how we're going to make life more affordable uh, for Canadians. We start off almost every day with uh, an announcement about uh, a tax cut or a new tax credit, and, uh, and that is what our message is. So, uh, you know, every campaign, other things come up as well, and we obviously respond to some of the uh, false attacks Liberals or other parties might make against us, but uh, by and large, every day we are telling Canadians a story about how we're going to run a government that lives within its means, so we can put more money in their pocket, so that they can get ahead. But you've run a lot of attacks against Justin Trudeau, and you're just now releasing your costed platform. It's Friday before the Thanksgiving long weekend. You had promised to release it before voters went to the advance polls. That didn't happen. Why did you wait so long? Well, the, the ads that we're running. Uh, 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 speak to the, the question of trust. This election, I believe the ballot question is, who do you trust uh, to lower taxes, to put more money in your pocket? And when we look at trust, we can't trust Justin Trudeau. Broken promises from the last campaign, outright lies that, he've told, that he's told when it really, as it relates to the SNC-Lavalin affair and things of that nature. Uh, we promised Canadians that we would uh, unveil our platform with plenty of, t uh, plenty of time for Election Day and before advanced polls. Uh, we did that today here in British Columbia. And uh, this is the perfect weekend for people to discuss around the Thanksgiving Day table, uh, th Thanksgiving supper table, and talk about what each party is offering and what the different platforms contain. And so we thought that this was the perfect time. We also had great news to announce. Uh, even uh, even this week, we had uh, exciting new measures that we were announcing for Canadians. And so if you if you announce your platform too early, uh, sometimes uh, you're not able to highlight uh, each and every uh, specific policy. People won't have had a lot of time to digest it if they're voting today, though, which a number of Canadians will. Thousands of Canadians across the country engage in advanced polls, and I'm sure the dinner table at Thanksgiving is where lots of people will debate mm -hmm. politics, but they haven't had a chance to look at this in depth and in detail. Don't you think that that runs the risk of playing right into the concern some voters have that you're going to cover, uh, govern through significant cuts, or what the Liberals have been saying, that you're going to govern like Doug Ford? Oh, not at all. And I think when people look at each and every day, we've announced fully costed platform announcements, it, uh, all with parliamentary budget officer analysis, and that is in sharp contrast with the Liberals. Not only did they fail to do that throughout the campaign, but when they released their platform, over half of their commitments weren't even costed. Uh, so I believe that ca Canadians over the course of this campaign up to today and, and beyond uh, have enough uh, information to, to say that, okay, the Conservatives are going to run a responsible plan to get back to balanced budgets. They've announced exciting tax cuts like the universal tax cut, which will leave $850 in the pockets of a average income earning couple, uh, the public transit tax credit, the home renovation tax credit. And they're going to see that under Justin Trudeau, it's going to be massive deficits with which threaten those social programs. We're a conservative government that will get back to balanced budgets and lower taxes. There are billions of dollars worth of cuts in here, cuts that you're proud of, but would you run an austerity government? 
Not at all. Uh, and that is, it's, it's all about choices. It's, it's the priorities. What we're saying is we're going to take $1.5 billion out of the corporate welfare envelope. Uh, right now, the billions of dollars are sent to highly profitable companies or uh, companies that take the taxpayers' dollars that they've received and they actually invest it overseas. Uh, we're going to reduce the foreign aid budget by 25%. We also are going to look at how the government operates uh, in and of itself, not programs and services, but how it spends money within departments. We're going to eliminate the practice of March Madness, which uh, you know in Ottawa, at the end of every fiscal year, hundreds of millions of dollars are blown out the door uh, rather than returned back to the Treasury. Uh, we're going to look at the practice of outside consultants coming in, often two or three times the hourly rate of the highly trained, experienced public servants that could be doing the work that outside consultants are doing. And in that way, we're going to free up the money to bring in the universal tax cut, to bring in the public transit and the kids sports and activities tax cut. So it's a choice. With the Liberals, you pay higher taxes on inefficient government. With the Liberals, you get a balanced budget, lower taxes, more money in your pocket. Will you commit, when it comes to cutting government operating costs, that you will not cut services and that you will not cut any jobs? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and we're going beyond that. We're actually going to increase spending for health care and education. We are committed to the current formula, which means at least 3% increases every year for health care, post-secondary education, and important social programs. On corporate welfare, you talk about cutting examples like giving the money to Loblaws for their refrigerators. But a lot of economists are saying we could be heading into a global recession. If we are plunged into that next year, are you ruling out the possibility of corporate bailouts for big Canadian companies like Bombardier or, for example, your predecessor Stephen Harper who bailed out the auto industry? Mm -hmm. What we're saying is that when you look at, uh, um, when you look at the current fiscal state, Tens of billions of dollars a year in deficits have a cost. Uh, that represents cuts in and of itself because every time the Liberals bore another 10 to 20 billion dollars in a fiscal year, that has to be paid back and it has to be paid back with interest. So when we look at how various uh, various government programs, and this, is, this goes across all different departments, there are so many different types of programs that provide some assistance or another to, uh, to, to corporations. And what we're saying is we're going to put in a criteria that it can't go to highly profitable companies. It can't go to companies that are going to take that, the, the, the taxpayers' dollars of Canadians and invest in other countries. It can't go to pay for bonuses uh, for executives. And we're going to establish those criteria. It's much better if we are facing some troubling trends, uh, and there are some signs around the world, and anytime you see protectionist streaks go through various countries, uh, there's always some risk. When you look at the foreign direct investment that has left Canada, especially in the energy sector, of course that means that we are going to uh, have to be prudent. That's precisely why we have to get back to balanced budgets now. Uh, the Liberals have left us with no flexibility, no room to maneuver in the event of a downturn. With these types of targeted, uh, broad-based tax relief proposals that we're bringing in, as well as getting our energy sector back up, we're going to see a lot more economic, economic activity thanks to that. But does that mean that you would consider bailouts for big corporations? Look, I mean, when you look at a catastrophic, uh, a potential catastrophic failure like we saw in the auto sector, when you, you look at what our, uh, our largest trading partner does when there's a systemic shock to one sector or another, uh, obviously governments have to make decisions in the moment. What we're saying is today, looking at the Liberal plan, five years out, billions and billions of dollars worth of deficits each and every year, adding to the cost of the debt, meaning hundreds of millions more, billions of dollars more every year, just going to pay banks and bondholders, the people who own that debt. That's wasted money. That's money that could be going into better services for Canadians or into tax cuts. As you just said, 
you don't have a lot of wiggle room. The Liberals, if you win, have not left you a lot of wiggle room due to the deficit. If you end up in a situation where there's also a recession, you're going to have to make some tough decisions about how you come to balance. Are you committed to coming to balance on the budget within four years no matter what, even at the cost of potentially having to raise revenue or cut services, or would you be willing to push that off? So this is a classic liberal uh, tactic where they create a giant fiscal mess and then they say, well, the conservatives aren't going to clean it up the way, <laughs> the, the, the way we want them to. We're not going to take any lessons from them. Uh, they're already out trying to put, uh, press their, their message. And, and I'm not going to take any lessons from a party that can't even cost their own platform. Uh, and now they're trying to, 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 to attack our platform. Uh, we, we, we have confidence in our economic plan that we've tabled. It's based on... Uh, parliamentary Budget Office uh, projections. It's based on the, the analysis that, uh, that uh, Canadian economists look at, the, at what the trends are going to be like for the next few years. So but we're, but we're even by your own that. numbers, you don't have a lot of wiggle room with this plan. So if you have to spend unexpectedly or if you're not able to save in the way that you've projected, you could be in big trouble. Well, I, I disagree. I think when, when, when you look at the amount of wiggle room we free up, by lowering the interest payment charges that the government currently has to pay. That's billions of dollars a, a year difference between the Liberals and our plan. Uh, that's significant, and that actually gives us more room to maneuver. So we made the commitment, we're not going to raise taxes, we're going to lower taxes, we're going to put money back in the pockets of Canadians. Justin Trudeau has to explain where he's going to get the money for his platform. We know he's going to raise the carbon tax. We know he's, uh, he, they, they, they've speculated on raising other taxes. Uh, with our plan, you can be sure we're going to get back to balanced budgets. We're going to increase spending for health care, education, social programs, and leave more money in the pockets of Canadians. Why are you looking at reducing the amount of infrastructure spending? I mean, you're saying it's the same amount the Liberals have committed to, but over more time. Cities are saying, we need clean water, we need new sewers, we need a transit system. What do you say to those cities? Mm -hmm. the, what we say to them is that we're going to be there. We're going to be there as partners. We're going to get those projects built. Right now, the Liberals don't have an infrastructure plan to actually get the money going into the ground, uh, into uh, shovels in the ground. What we're saying is that we're going to spend the exact same amount of money over more time, over a slightly longer period of time, in order for that plan to work, for the projects to actually get underway. Uh, that allows us to st stop the practice of borrowing billions and billions of dollars while still at the same time getting important projects built. We've made uh, significant commitments, a rock-solid commitment for the, uh, the, the Young and Ontario line expansions in Toronto, the Massey Tunnel replacement here uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the Delta region, and the, the, the La Troisième Ligne uh, at Quebec. So those are significant big pieces of infrastructure that we're committed to, as well as all the other uh, uh, types of projects that other municipalities will be asking for. And we're going to help communities, municipalities, meet the standards that we're going to set to stop the practice of raw sewage getting dumped into our oceans, rivers, and lakes. So we're going to be there as full partners in infrastructure, maintaining record levels, those same high levels of spending. And, uh, and I know the Liberals are going to try to say otherwise, but the fact of the matter is we, our plan will actually get projects built. Their plan isn't. You talk a lot about the difficulty the average family has in, in making ends meet. And one of the big areas that people say they experience significant expenses in, and it can be very expensive for the government in the long term, is the ability to pay for their medication. The other parties are all saying that they would introduce a national pharmacare program. You're not offering that. Why not? Well, what we've said is that when you look at uh, the Canadian population, up to 95% of Canadians are eligible for some coverage or another, either a workplace plan, um, a provincial plan that exists uh, already. And what the Liberals are talking about is a multi-billion dollar plan to replace 
what uh, the free market is providing many, many people and what provincial programs are already covering. So it doesn't, so for them, they have to explain where they're going to get the billions of dollars to pay for that. And I don't want to see Canadians get uh, less coverage than they currently have with the current plan and have to pay more for it. Uh, so we've announced that we're going to start the process for filling in the gaps. Uh, and we're going to start with uh, people who have rare diseases, whose medications often cost uh, astronomically higher than, uh, than other types of medications. We're going to start with that, and then we're going to prudently work with the provinces to, uh, to fill in those gaps. Are you worried that could cost you with voters who are being offered the chance to, to have what are often significant expenses covered by the other parties with a pharmacare program? No, because we know that the Liberals are going to make life more expensive on the whole. And with the Liberals, it's always raise a tax over here and then pretend to give some back over there. Uh, Canadians won't be better off paying a higher carbon tax. They won't be higher off paying higher uh, payroll taxes. Small business owners won't be better off paying higher taxes under the Liberals. We're going to leave thousands of dollars in the pockets of Canadians. We're going to help Canadians uh, deal with the affordability, the cost of living crunch. And I'm very confident that Canadians will look and see the fact the Liberals have been promising this uh, since the 90s, the fact that they've hired, uh, it's based on recommendations from a, a Kathleen Wynne-era cabinet minister. I don't think Canadians are going to have any faith in a program developed by one of Kathleen Wynne's cabinet ministers, and they're certainly not going to have confidence in this Liberal government being able to administer a program of that nature. Speaking of Kathleen Wynne, mm -hmm. you haven't campaigned with Doug Ford. You did campaign with uh, Mr. Kenny, the Premier of Alberta, who you imported. Why hasn't Mr. Ford been a part of your campaign? Well, uh, the Premier decided uh, that he was going to stay focused on provincial politics. He's got a big mess to clean up. After so many years of Dalton McGuinty and Kathleen Wynne raising taxes, running deficits, being mired in scandals, he's got a lot of work on his plate. Is he just too toxic to bring him near your campaign? You know, it's, uh, when, when we talk to candidates, I, I, I check in with my candidates every single day, and when our candidates are going door to door, uh, they're hearing about affordability, they're hearing about uh, the SNC-Lavalin scandal, they're hearing about uh, the crime in their communities. Uh, that's what they're focused on, that's what we're hearing at the doors. Uh, questions about which poli other politicians are campaigning with federal leaders is, has never come up at the doors, and uh, we're going to continue to face uh, focused on providing Canadians with a plan to make life more affordable so that they can get ahead. There are questions about who is Andrew Scheer. You're still really having to introduce yourself to voters and you face a lot of criticism from the Liberals when it comes to some of your personal values. They say you're too much of a social conservative. You didn't march in the climate marches. You never marched in a gay pride parade. What do you have to say to voters who wonder, especially moderate voters in this election who are swing and youth, whether or not your values align with theirs? Mm. Well, my message is the same uh, as it's always been. And first of all, it's always a challenge for a leader of the opposition to uh, to, to be introduced to Canadians. It's, uh, I've spoken with other leaders of the opposition, and they've all uh, said the same thing, that it's uh, really up until a, an election campaign that Canadians have the opportunity to, to get to know you and, and to hear what you have to say. Uh, we are a big tent party, and everyone is welcome in our party. If you believe in individual liberty, if you believe in smaller government and more dynamic free market, uh, then you're, you have a home in the, in the Conservative Party of Canada. We are an inclusive party that respects the point of view, people from all different walks of life, people of all different sexual orientations, from all different ethnicities, from all different faiths. And uh, I pride myself on being the type of leader that finds the common ground between all different kinds of Conservatives to focus on making life better for Canadians. But you personally as the leader, why wouldn't you march in a gay pride parade or the climate parade? It seems like there's no downside to that for you. Well, you know, uh, there's lots of different ways to show support to the LGBT uh, community. Uh, I've got, I had a motion in the House of Commons to call on the government to do more to help people who are being persecuted because of their sexual orientation. I participated in the historic apology to public servants 
who were persecuted because of their sexual orientation. And when it comes to the, the, the climate march, I saw a lot of signs in that march that said, actions, not words. And when I see Justin Trudeau marching in that, in, in, in that, uh, in that protest, it just rings of such hypocrisy. And uh, the, the irony was incredible. Here is a prime minister who's basically marching against himself. And so we decided on that day that we were going to make announcements on significant concrete ways to make life better for Canadians, including investments in public transit, which we know has a, uh, an impact on reducing emissions. Turning abroad, right now Turkey is making an incursion into Syria. They are killing Kurds who have been Canadian allies in the war against ISIS. Do you believe that Turkey should remain as a member of NATO given these activities? Well, that is a, a, a very important question that I think uh, NATO members are going to have to be looking at. Uh, obviously, we would expect that all members of NATO live up to the obligations, the international, uh, international law and human rights. I'm very concerned about the situation. Uh, I believe it was a mistake to pull uh, uh, troops out of, uh, of that part of Syria and, and basically leave uh, our allies, you know, the Kurds who had fought side by side with us against the, the, the fight against ISIS. So I'm very concerned at what's going on there. There are questions inside the Conservative Party here in home about your leadership and about how you've done in this election, that you've not been able to pull it out of the hat or pull ahead despite some gifts like the blackface video, uh, which politically was an unforced error that the Liberals have had to deal with, uh, SNC-Lavalin, and, and still it seems like you can't get traction and they're already looking at who your successor is. Have you talked to Peter McKay, who was the name floated as the potential successor, since those stories surfaced? You know, I am focused on October 21st, and our entire team is. And, uh, and I, I, I hear every day from our candidates across the country, from people who have uh, helped our party in the past. They're excited about October 21st, very optimistic, very confident uh, that, we're going to form a, that we are going to form a majority government. Have you talked to Peter McKay? I speak to Peter McKay often. I see him at many different events. Uh, my, uh, my current schedule has me in, in, here in British Columbia today and, uh, and debating the other day in Ottawa. Uh, but I know Peter is, uh, is a committed member of our team. Uh, at, at our convention in Halifax uh, in 2018, I, I pay tribute to the fact that he's a builder. He understands the need uh, to, to, to keep a party united, to, uh, to work, uh, to uh, achieve the ultimate goal, which is providing good government to Canadians, government that respects their tax dollars and makes it uh, easier to get ahead in this country. And I know that's uh, what he's focused on. That's what I'm focused on. That's what our entire team is focused on. We're here in BC and the pipeline, uh, and any pipeline really, is very controversial here. You've pledged a national energy corridor. In order to do that, you may have to override the objections of Indigenous people and of provinces. Are you confident that you're willing to put that pipeline through, put that energy corridor through at any cost? The, the key is to address environmental concerns. Uh, when people say, if you put a pipeline here, you threaten this aquifer, or, or, or it, it's not safe in this region. And a proponent can say, that's a legitimate concern. You're right. We're going to go address that. That is, precise, that is the, the constructive way that we can deal with people, that we can work with people who have environmental concerns. Conservatives are environmentalists. We want to protect our waterways. We want to protect our oceans. But we have to acknowledge the fact that there are some people who are saying no no matter what, who are blocking projects no matter what, not because they may have a specific concern that could be addressed, but they just don't want the energy sector to develop in Canada. Uh, th that is their agenda. And so to those people we say, look, we're not going to allow uh, a small group of people uh, block 
the types of projects that bring enormous potential and enormous prosperity to Indigenous Canadians, uh, to people all throughout Canada, manufacturing jobs that depend on the energy sector, refining jobs. Uh, we're saying we're going to develop a geographic space with a national energy corridor to address Indigenous concerns, to find out the, the most environmentally friendly way, the, most, the, the route that uh, takes into account all those sensitivities that is the best for our environment, and then we're going to allow projects to proceed. Does that mean, though, that, for example, the entire province of Quebec or First Nation would not have the ability to say no at the end of the day? Uh, I respect provincial jurisdiction. I also respect federal jurisdiction. And I'm confident that Quebecers will want to choose energy de chez nous. Uh, it's, uh, right now, we've got a significant percentage of, of, of gasoline being used in Quebec that comes from the United States. Quebecers don't want to send their consumer dollars to Donald Trump's America. I believe that they'd rather support Canadian energy. And that's why I believe that this energy corridor achieves that, will allow Quebec to see, uh, realize its benefits when it comes to hydro. And, uh, and, and, and here in BC, you know, we, we, we see people in British Columbia protesting and blocking exports of Canadian energy, uh, when on the eastern side of Canada, we have tanker after tanker of foreign oil coming up the St. Lawrence or coming in from the United States. That doesn't make any sense. And when I speak to Quebecers about it, uh, they're very excited about the prospect of having Canadian energy in, in, uh, in, in Quebec and also allowing Quebec to share its hydroelectricity with, with, with other provinces, which is something that's very important to Premier Legault as well. He made a big promise on immigration, saying that you would stop uh, people from making irregular border crossings. In order to do that, you'd have to change something called the Safe Third Country Agreement. You'd need the United States to agree to that. The Liberal government has explored it. They haven't gotten any kind of a bite uh, from the Donald Trump administration. What would you offer to Mr. Trump to change this agreement, which so far is working just fine for them? Mm -hmm. Well, we don't actually know what the Liberals have done. You know, they've had very mixed messages on this. They've said sometimes that they were considering it and that they weren't. So we don't know what type of efforts they've actually made. Uh, I believe it's in both our countries' best interest to have an orderly border, a safe orderly and compassionate immigration system uh, where our country's borders can be, uh, it can have its integrity maintained. So I'm co uh, confident and optimistic that there will be uh, a willingness on the side of the United States. Um, we, we also have some tools at our disposal here at home that we that, that will contemplate as well. The goal is to make sure that our immigration and refugee system prioritizes people who follow the rules and are facing real danger. And someone who is crossing in from upstate New York is not facing the same type of persecution that someone who's waiting in a refugee camp or fleeing civil war is facing. And I don't believe that people should be able to jump the line or skip the queue uh, because they have the means to get to upstate New York uh, when there are so many you know, hundreds of thousands of people who would be killed if they left a refugee camp. Uh, our system should prioritize those people. Mr. Shearer, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson. <laughs>